Hi, this is Dr. Sanjay Jain, author of Optimal Living 360, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Sanjay Jain. Dr. Sanjay Jain holds both an MD and an MBA. He represents a distinct thought leadership developed from his medical expertise and business education, as well as his life experiences. Sanjay Jain is a US-trained board-certified physician with over 15 years of clinical experience. He holds certifications in diagnostic radiology, integrative medicine, and healthcare quality, as well as management. He's a graduate of the accredited MBS MD program at the Northeast Ohio Medical University. He was a former assistant professor at the Ohio State University, where he also obtained his MBA at the Fisher School of Business. Sanjay lives in Potomac, Maryland with his wife and two sons and is here to talk about his book, Optimal Living 360. Welcome, Sanjay. Hey, Bill. How are you doing? Glad to be here today. So glad to have you on my quest for the best. Tell me, Sanjay, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? I had many people who inspired me, many people who were a huge part of my life. I would say my grandmother was someone who really inspired me when growing up. She was someone who was a teacher. She she was a very accomplished teacher back in India. And I, I was born and raised here. So her coming here introduced me to the culture I never knew. I was growing up in the typical American culture and that's all I knew. Why? And she said, wait a minute, you might want to learn a little bit about this. And it really opened my eyes. She taught me so much about just living and how to be a good person. And unfortunately, she's passed away many years ago, but it's, her memory still lives on. And her education, her dedicated to learning is what kind of rubbed off on me. And I always like to learn. I've got books in my office that my wife says, get this out of here because I've had it with all these books. And I just love books. I love to learn. And that's what she's imparted on me. Your grandmother, there's nothing like having a teacher in the family who doesn't have any boundaries. She brings their teaching. She brings her love of learning and just shares that with everyone. And it sounds like your grandmother was that type of person. Absolutely. She was. Can you remember any of the lessons? Did she have favorite sayings that she taught you? Maybe about being a good person, maybe about teaching other people or how to treat other people? One thing she imparted on me, and this is also coming from my grandfather too, and it's basically keep the battle going, keep the midnight oil going, because that's basically saying don't give up. Don't let all, if when people are sleeping, you should be up keeping that midnight oil reading. While people are asleep, you're working. And that's what I remember them hammering in my head is that keep at it. And while others are taking it easy, resting, you're working hard. And that's what I've always been doing since then. Yeah, it's that kind of work ethic that I'm sure that they not only spoke, but also demonstrated in their lives. Am I right? I uh, 100% agree. And that's something that I, I think people don't realize that you could be blessed with many talents. But if you don't use those talents, if you don't work hard at it, then they're wasted talents. It's so important to, to take those talents and work hard at it. Just like a professional athlete, they might be born blessed with great athleticism, but if they don't practice, they don't work out, they don't work at their craft, then you're way throwing it away. You're wasting it away. And you know, I'm still trying to figure out a lot of my talents. I don't have the athletic body, but I definitely feel like I'm a great educator. I'm a great dad. I'm very empathetic. I've got other good qualities. So I really try to work on those. 
what's something that what's one of the first of those talents that you started working on that you can remember that's beyond just studying, getting a grades. You obviously have to be a good student and, and apply yourself to get in and complete medical school because they're two different stages. But once you got beyond that very demanding experience, what's something that you looked back and picked up and said, oh, I'm going to develop this other talent that I have and see where it leads? Oh, that's a great question. So I feel like, I don't know if you call it a talent, but I have a very creative mind and artistic side to myself, which I always had when I was a little kid. I was a very good artist. I would be going to art school and I had a very good eye for art. And I was really good in my art class in high school. I would take, I'm not the sculpture kind, but more the sketch kind of person. I'm already and thinking how your notes must have been fantastic in medical school. I wish they were. I would be drawing pictures of the heart and that sort of thing. But my handwriting could definitely have used a, a little bit of more improvement. I definitely have the doctor handwriting, the scribble scrabble. Then did you ever pick up the sketching after med school? Did you? Yes, I definitely did. I, so I have two young boys and I buy them books like how to sketch. And the sad thing now is that the sketching is no longer done on paper. Everything's digital, like digital art. And I'm still trying to get my boys to go back to getting the tracing paper, trying to trace on something or get a sketch pad. But they're doing art on computers now, the Photoshop, Adobe, all these computer programs create. And it's great. The stuff that they have on computers is wonderful. But I'm a paper and pen person. I like the this. you take the different types of lead on a pencil and uh, the thickness and you can shade it with your finger and smudge it with your fingers dirty. That was fun to me. Working with some chalk, colored chalk and really creating something beautiful. So there's some value to some of that old school art. And I enjoyed that more. That's something that's nice to have as an option because there are all sorts of ways that it doesn't really preclude any one way. What I would do is I would I might suggest taking your boys out somewhere where there's no electricity or no Wi-Fi connection and say, let's draw what we see in a landscape or something like that. I think that's a wonderful idea. I, as soon as this pandemic issue settles down a little bit, I'm definitely going to take them camping, take them out in the wilderness and let them smell the fresh air because I used to be a Boy Scout, by the way, an Eagle Scout for that matter. So I've been, I'm used to the outdoors. I love the outdoors and there's a lot of beauty, beautiful things nature-wise that you can capture either on camera or even on a sketch pad. So true. Now, the same approach that you took to excelling in your medical career, you've now shared through Optimal Living 360. What was it that inspired you to say, to take all of these different perspectives and put them into the book? What, do you remember a moment when you said, this is why I have to write the book? They say doctors can be one of the worst investors. And I was probably in that same category many years ago. Back in 2006, 2007, I was a budding real estate investor. Didn't have much experience, very green. And I basically, and money at the time was coming like crazy. The credit, you could borrow money and it was just coming out of banks left and right. And it was very easy money. I borrowed money like you won't believe. And I over leveraged myself and I bought a lot of rental property before the crash. And so I bought, and, and as a beginner, you probably shouldn't buy commercial property. I would recommend residential property to start off with, but I just went for the home run. I went, I bought a 40,000 square foot office building, 
another 30,000 square foot office building. And within a year and a half, all my tenants left and it was empty buildings and I just couldn't pay the mortgage. I was hurting financially. So that was hurting my health. I was getting, gaining weight. My cholesterol was going up. This is odd because here you're talking to a doctor, but that was the case. I was stressed out. I couldn't sleep at night. It was a very bad situation. Let me jump in. I think that what it shows is that you're human. You have a human body that responds in human ways to extraordinarily stressful situations. That's true. And it wasn't a pleasant feeling. It was some depression. And I they don't teach you in medical school how to get through that. That's not something that they teach you how to treat diseases, but they don't necessarily teach you what to eat, how to diet and exercise properly. And so I, I'm sure things have changed now, but back then I had to self-teach that. And I would get myself out of a rut going to Barnes and Nobles, getting all these books, researching. And I put a lot of my notes on this three ring binders. Not This is not even on the computer. I would handwrite all my notes. This is before I even thought about writing a book. And I was getting results. I was implementing a lot of these things that I was learning. And it's, wow, this is working. So wait a second, let me jump in. Because in your book, you say in an early part of it, you say, quote, I'm a regular guy who has tripped through life making mistakes just like everyone else. Sometimes it takes road bumps to inspire us to share what we have along the way. During the trying times, we look for meaning and eventually an aha moment occurs. This book offers some of my insights and what I learned from those moments. What was the aha moment for you? Take us back to that point. I was standing on a weight scale and I think the weight, I didn't weigh myself for, for many months and literally I was shocked at how much I've gained weight and it, it explained my back pain. I was getting lower back pain, it explained some of the pain I was having in my knee and explained my cholesterol going higher. And, and then when I finally went to see a physician, my own personal physician, it was a eye opener. That was my aha moment. Okay, this has got, this downward spiral has got to stop. It was the combination of looking at the weight and then maybe a short while later going to your physician and having to confront him because he weighs you on his scales. No one, no physician ever trusts a patient when they ask, so what do you weigh? You put him on a scale. Yes. And so that's what happened. That was my, that was my moment of change. And then all of a sudden the next day I am not eating out anymore. I'm packing a lunch. I'm not eating. I'm just not having the car extra carbs I used to love. Really, all of a sudden, I just dropped many of my things about diet cold. And it was challenging because you're so used to things you eat. And all of a sudden, I had to just switch things up. And it wasn't pleasant, but I, I did get the job done. And what happened was after I was getting good results, I had all these notes and I realized, you know what? I got to put these notes into good use. I want to give my sons some inspiration. So that's a really key point. You're looking to pass on some of your hard-earned wisdom to your sons. And your inspiration for staying healthy is to be a better dad and to not be in pain. And that was an important guiding factor. Now, in your book, you're so specific with some of the details. So I'm going to ask you to share them here as well. What was the, the starting point? And then how did you start to notice that you were making a difference, that you're actually seeing that the work that you were putting in was having the desired change? When my weight was going down, that was obviously the biggest feedback I got, number one. Was it crossing a particular barrier and seeing it go below a certain level? Yeah, it was. My body fat was going down. The clothes that I could not fit in anymore, I was fitting in again. So that was that was the moment like, hey, I can wear this now. I think everyone in the pandemic has experienced that where you take pants out of the closet and all of a sudden you say, oh, those pants have shrunk. They definitely have shrunk. Yes. And, and so when you can start wearing your clothes again, that's your favorite clothes that you liked, that's a good feeling. And I got 
tested again and my cholesterol went down, that was a good feeling. And so there's a lot of little moments that were good feelings, a feel good moments. And my relationship was suffering a little bit with my wife. I was not being, I had newborns. I wasn't, I was not present in their room. I was so stressed out. My mind was somewhere else. And I feel like my, the sadness or the stress I was going through, I was not present in that moment of being a dad or being a husband. And that came back because things were getting better looking up for me. So I was more present in my family, if that makes sense. I remember when my son was at that age and I said to myself, my gosh, he's never going to be 22 days old again, ever. This is the day I get to be with him when he's 22 days old. And that number just stuck with me because it, it was just amazing. He was born premature. And so we had all this other all these other complications and we had the apnea monitor and all the rest. But I remember thinking to myself, day by day, this is the day I get to spend with my newborn son. And I get to learn what it's like to be a father. And he's becoming more and more of the person he was born to be. So that was just really special. I'm sure you had moments like that too, where you recognize, I can't come back this in a year. My, my children are going never going to be three months old again. They're never going to be a year and a half old again. And you knew that you had to make that change. Is that right? I agree. I agree. So you put this together in a book, Optimal 360. What are one or two things that you're most proud of that you were surprised in learning as you put the book together? Oh boy. I definitely learned a lot about writing a book because that's hard to do. Yeah, it's not as easy as it looks. Or And I, I respect every author who's done a book because it's a lot of work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And and, and it's just a lot. You, you put yourself into it. You immer- It's a part of It's a piece of you. And so that's one thing I've learned. I learned how to be, become better organized. I've learned how to, I've learned lessons about myself. Oh, is this what I believe in or don't believe in? So you, a lot of introspective analysis about who you are when you're writing a book. So Sanjay, share with me, if you will, an example of a lesson you learned about yourself as you were writing it down, something inside you said, wait a second, I have to change that to make it congruent with what I really feel about my beliefs or my experience. Oh, one one chapter in my book, it, it speaks about spirituality, religion, and that it was written at a time when people were, there was a lot of angst with that topic. It's a very touchy topic because people have got different beliefs and and they're they're ingrained from a very young age it doesn't matter what background you're from. So I grew up not really religious. My, I guess you can say being Indian, there's a, the Indian Hindu religion, but I was never that religion. I actually went to Catholic school and I learned a lot about the Bible and I learned a lot about, and I grew up in Ohio. So I wasn't exposed to, and I was living in part of Ohio, which I didn't get exposure to different diverse amount of people. So I was, I grew up in, I would almost call it the Bible belt of Ohio in that particular area. So I learned a lot about Bible teachings. And I love, I like reading about it. I, I, I liked the stories they had, the parables. And so I was open-minded, even though I wasn't the religion per se, it, it gave me good lessons in life. Okay. And I thought, okay, that's good because I'm taking the good out of this religion or this concept and implementing whatever I think is good. And then I go to college and then I see other religions. I, I didn't know what a beanie was, the Jewish people. I was like, what is that? I, I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. And I wasn't aware of other religions such as the Muslim religion, or I wasn't really aware of all the, just the different varieties. And I think college opened my eyes to that because it became, I was like, oh, okay. So then as in the dormitory, oh, this is what you do. This is what you practice. So it opened my eyes to to different people. And that was, and I think that's what I put in my book is it's not about the religion. It's about how you are toward people and how good of a life you live is what's going to make you the shining bright star in your community or in your family. And so I don't really speak of it as religion. I look at it as more spirituality, as making you a better 
person and living a good life and being a good person to your fellow man and to your people around you. And whatever is the outcome afterwards that we don't know, the afterlife, it'll reward you. And I'm not to judge whose afterlife is correct or not, but if you do well, then I'm sure good things will come for you at the end. Part of the way that we treat each other during this pandemic that's very important is learning to connect while we're physically separate. I think it's such a dumb phrase and it's so unfortunate that we latched onto the phrase social distancing early on in the pandemic because what's really needed is physical distancing. COVID-19 doesn't care about our social connections. What it cares about is whether there's sufficient distance between us so that it can't be transmitted by the exhalation of aerosol droplets containing the virus or through touch. And if we talk about physical distancing, I think people are much more okay with physical distancing than they are with social distancing, which is how we stay connected with each other, how we learn the details of each other's work lives, and how we form those bonds. In writing, researching your book, what are one or two lessons that you have for people who are looking to work with their team now and to stay socially connected while maintaining physical distance? There's a lot of talking heads out there. We've been in the media, a lot of people talking, but I think the skill that's being lost is listening. Listening is so important to the community. With the so they say you're socially distant. If you're listening, whether electronically or whatever means, people want to be heard, whether in the office or your employer, your employee, whatever your whatever role you have, they want to be listened to. They want to feel important. And giving the person the respect of listening shows respect. Okay. And you don't have to li- you don't have to agree with it, but just uh we're we've been living in a time where people are very polarized now. And they're just shouting, a lot of shouting at each other. The cancel culture, let's shout. But I think it's good to step back and listen to people and listen to what their perspectives are and then having that conversation. And obviously, and that, that's something I think that's a lost art is being a good listener. So I think that what many people who are listening to this episode now are thinking to themselves is that there are some people who I find it easier to listen to and some people I find it more difficult to listen to. If you imagine somebody who you very much disagree with in terms of politically or economically or just with the choices they've made in their life and they say, oh, I'm a fan of your book. I've really benefited from it. How do you find it to listen or support or respect people who have such different views or who have said things that have been hurtful but aren't saying it now? But how do you bridge that gap with people who you yourself have had disagreements with or you've learned of positions that you strongly disagree with so that we can learn from your example and your insights in that way? I, I hear what you're saying. And uh, I can tell you this, even within our own family, we have different perspectives. Some people have different political perspectives. Right. Welcome it's to the about- Thanksgiving dinner and, every- and people are sitting at different ends of the table based on how they voted. Goodness. Can you just the last year or two years of the politics? And I'll tell you, so I've been very fortunate to have lived in almost the four corners of the United States. I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived on the East Coast. I've lived on the West Coast. I've lived in the Deep South. I have a very good perspective or understanding of both sides from a political, if you want to look at that. I understand why they're thinking what they're thinking, what it is. And that's helped me become more tolerant of their political views. I'm like, okay, I understand what you're coming from. Share an example where you actually had a conversation with somebody from one of those areas that had different, very different viewpoints, opinions, or feelings about a matter than you did on a particular issue. Because I'm sure a lot of people would just say, oh, I can't talk to them right now about that and disengage. And you were able to stay engaged. Do you remember an example like that that you could share? Okay. His name is Tim. He's Tim from Ohio. He's a firefighter, hardworking guy. We were in Boy Scouts together. We were all friends. 
he posted something and he's also on my social media feed. He posts very polarizing material, things that I'm not even sure either side would find appropriate. So I, so we actually, I, I went to Ohio being from Maryland. I went back to Ohio and we got together. We had a little boy scout troop reunion in a nice little bar and we sat around, we just sharing old stories. And I think that conversation came up. Hey, your social media posts have been very interesting. Why do you think what you think? And I had a preconceived opinion about maybe he's just white-headed. But when he explained to himself, like, yeah, this is the way I grew up. And so we disconnected after Boy Scouts. He lived his life and I went to college and that sort of thing. But then he shared with me some of the, his struggles. I'm like, oh, wow, that's tough. You had a really tough life. And going to jail, he was arrested. And I, he had a two or three year bad period where he just was getting himself into trouble. And I, I was like, wow, this is not something I expected. And But it didn't surprise me either. And the funny thing is in our group, one guy, one of our friends was, was a prosecutor for the county. So he's in the same group. Oh boy, this is an uncomfortable situation. And, but he was, and, and he changed himself, but he had a, he had a rough patch, I think for a few years and he, he's a different person. He found, he got married, he had responsibility, he has some kids. And I think that changed him to a better person. And, but I, I can see him growing up in a situation where it was very tough. And I believe he's a broken family and some of us haven't experienced that, whether there's a divorce in the family or you know, there's certain things that I, if you don't listen, as I mentioned earlier, you don't understand someone's background and you live a sheltered life sometimes. Like you don't know what a broken family is like, or someone who's got cancer or someone who's a single parent. There's a lot of struggles people have in the world today. And I, 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 and they have, I, from Ohio, I, I've seen where it was thriving in the seventies. It was really booming. And now it's a ghost town. Now the manufacturing, you got empty factories there. So I also see their perspective of, oh, why we're frustrated because of the economy. Why? When you had that conversation with Tim and your other friends who were in Boy Scouts together, was there a moment during the discussion where it was a turning point, where people were surprised that they were able to accept the person who was in front of them now, even though they may have started off with maybe their defenses up? You know what? We left, we ended up getting a few beers, we cheers, and you know what? It was all smiles. There was no no animosity toward anybody. It was reminiscing about the past, the innocence of our youth. And that was a common bond. And that was something where we left not in any kind of disagreement, not in any kind of, oh, I resentment. It was actually a very, I think when you sit down and listen to everybody's catching up on many years, everybody serves a better understanding and a better feeling toward each other. That's really important for everyone listening to is to realize it takes time. It's an investment to bridge the gap of physical distance by listening with respect and hearing the stories that people are sharing. And it can resolve a lot of the distance, mistrust, and assumptions that are put in place. Sanjay, are you ready for the lightning round? Are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Yes, I am. Go for it. So at the beginning of the interview, I asked you about a person who interviewed, a person who influenced or inspired you, and you talked about your grandmother. When you were a teenager, Sanjay, what's a song that you loved? Van Halen Jump. I was, I love the instrumental, the guitar in the back. What would you say is the best business 
business advice you ever received? Business advice is do not fear failure. You need failure to be successful. What about best life advice? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to what my grandma says. Keep at it. Don't give up. When This is a little cliche-ish, but I do the, keep the midnight oil going. While other people are asleep, keep that middle and stay awake and keep that, keep going, work hard. So in addition to working hard, complete this sentence. I'm successful when I'm focused. And if you think back over the last year, what's an important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Reducing noise. That's internet noise. Any kind of, I've reduced television noise, internet surfing noise. I would, I think I've gained, I've, I think I mentioned before, focusing on, on getting something. There's too much information out there and not getting overwhelmed with it. Sanjay, one of the key points that you bring out in three, Optimal Living 360 is the idea of ROI. And many people think of ROI strictly in financial terms. I make a real estate investment. How much cash flow am I making that's going to give me the ability to save money on top of paying off the loan? You apply it in a much more broad way and encourage people to think about ROI in so many different aspects of their lives. Can you share a couple of the essential elements of that allows you to use that as a tool outside of strictly spreadsheets and business decisions? Okay, that's a great question. ROI for the, is return on investment. And whatever you put into something, you want to get back threefold, fivefold, sixfold. You don't want to have a negative return on your investment. And what you, and here, there's another concept that's common in the business world is called the law of diminishing returns. You don't want to overdo something. You want to do it right at its peak because if you overdo something, it's going to be actually trending down. You want to do something at its peak. So here's an example. It's very obvious. You want to eat optimally. You don't want to overeat because you eat too much, you're going to gain weight. You don't want to sleep too much because it's going to slow, it's going to make you inefficient the rest of the day. You have to eat, sleep at the right amount of time. So anything in excess is inefficient and you have to find that sweet spot that's going to maximize your ROI, if that makes sense. So it doesn't have to be in business or like you said, spreadsheets. What is your maximum peak performance for running? If you do overdo it, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to overuse injuries. You're going to hurt your ankles, your knees. You have to find the right sweet spot. So I guess the ROI is also finding that sweet spot, whether you're eating, whether you're sleeping, how efficiently you're working. Some people cannot work two straight hours. They need to take a break, either take a walk to refocus themselves. So you have to find your personal sweet spot where you're maximally focused, where you're maximally efficient and not try to overextend yourself. Sanjay, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on my quest for the best. You started off talking about the lessons learned about working hard and burning the midnight oil to stand out from the crowd that you learned from your grandmother. You shared with us your artistic side and how you hope to pass that on to your children. You talked about and made the distinction about how when we listen, it helps us overcome the distances. It's not necessarily talking or sharing, but really listening to connect with others. And you talked about how you did that with your pal, Tim, who you grew up with in Ohio, who's now a firefighter and you met as a Boy Scout. And when you all got together in that bar, how you were able to listen and really draw out his story and gain a different perspective based on really taking in the information that he wanted to share. You shared the importance of reducing the noise in our environment so we could focus on what matters and what will really give us the best ROI. And with ROI, we really need to find where our sweet spot is so that we're making sure that we're putting in the most effort that gives us the greatest returns and not falling into diminishing returns. So Sanjay Jain, thank you again so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Sanjay, before we say goodbye for now, where is it that people can find out more about you and your work 
work online. If people want to learn more about me, they can visit my website. It's sanjayjanemd.com. Sanjay, we're going to link to that in the show notes, as well as your social media, as well as how to buy your book so that people can find out all there is that you're sharing about how to use your thinking in order to get the most out of life. Sanjay Jain, author of Optimal Living 360, thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.